0: Hello and welcome to The Stockout. The Stockout is your show at FreightWaves about consumer uh, packaged goods, uh, CPG companies and their supply chains. I'm Mike bowden an analyst and market expert here at FreightWaves. Uh, one of the things I do here is follow the CPG industry um, and what's happening with their freight transportation costs, their packaging costs, their input costs, uh, You know anything that um, is sort of important. Uh, related to CPG companies and specifically related to their supply chains, and uh, relate that information to what we know at freight Waves about um, the freight transportation market and what we're seeing in the data. So, always do that on the stockout. And um, if that type of content is uh, of interest to you, would encourage you to sign up for the newsletter, um, uh, which you had to try to put some uh, analytics behind that every, every week. Uh, you can do that uh, at uh, freightwaves.com. Uh, there's a section at the top for. Um, newsletters and uh, just uh, click on the stock out and uh, twice a week, you'll get uh, information on uh, whatever I think is uh, important and um, it, happening in the, in the CPG industry and the, in the freight transportation uh, industry. So uh, try to have a good newsletter uh, twice a week. Had one uh, this morning at about uh, seven o'clock. Um, and so what I'm going to do today on the stock out, don't have any uh, guests, but um, I think there's still a lot to talk about with uh, you know, food prices hitting new highs, um, all sorts of, you know, sort of input costs rising. We can talk a little bit about the results of some of the CPG companies have just posted in their fourth quarter, and then talk a little bit about just the freight transportation market. I think a lot of things are, um, you know, moving around there. Some debate this morning um, on uh, freight waves now about uh, the, the, the move from, um, you know, between you know, rail and truck, how truck has actually gained some share from rail intermodal. Over the last uh, you know year or so, um, so I can talk a little bit about that. And you um, know, it's big news item uh, today with uh, Cummins acquiring Meritor. We used to cover those companies when I was a sell side uh, analyst, and I think that was a surprise. Certainly a surprise to the market when you see uh, you know Meritor uh, shares rise over forty percent. So a lot going on uh, here in uh, freight transportation uh, market, um, and really the the, the uh, markets that uh, CPG companies care about. And the first topic I'm going to talk about today is uh, food prices, which just hit an 11-year high globally. If we're looking at the Food and Agriculture uh, Organization of the United Nations uh, Food Price Index, they put out a global index. And uh, if you're looking for any sort of reprieve on on, on rising uh, food prices, didn't see it in January. It's up another 1.1% in January from December, now at the highest level. You know, in eleven years, and we sort of break down. You know, what's driving that? Um, you know, really, it's, it's it's broad based, of course, but but some of the uh, culprits in particular: vegetable oil index up 4.2 percent, dairy index up 2.4 percent, corn prices up 3.8 percent. Those are all just month over month. So just in one month, all of those sort of important inputs um, rising pretty sharply. Meat prices were just up uh, slightly, but those have been probably the most inflationary thing over the last uh, couple of years. Um, you know, those hit a new high. In January, so um, not seeing a lot of reason uh, for um, uh, food prices to fall. And in the newsletter uh, this morning, uh, dug into um, one of the components of that vegetable oil index, which rose four point two percent in just the last month, and that was uh, palm oil. So palm oil, not something that we maybe talk a lot about on FreightWaves, but I think um, you know it's really relevant for. The CPG industry, um, you know, when you think about companies like Unilever, and they actually called that out on their most recent earnings call um, that they use palm oil uh, across a wide range of their products. Um, you know, palm oil is used in things like ice cream, chips, frozen pizzas. It's also used in a lot of non-food products like detergents and beauty products. So Unilever said in particular, it hit their um, uh, health and, and and you know beauty segments and, and so this is a, a an oil that comes from you know trees in uh in, in Southeast Asia and you can see just how much uh their their prices prices of the commodity have risen have a have a commodity chart. So this is a commodity chart that we get from uh, barcharts.com. We have a partnership with them to for stock charts and commodity charts. So these this, this is what you're looking at here is a chart of uh, uh palm oil Futures for February 2022 delivery, so basically going to close um, here here shortly. And you see in the, the, that chart, the prices are up about seventy percent. Now those are actually less than what you know Lever was describing. They were talking about their costs up about one hundred and thirty percent in um, in in palm oil. And you know a number of things driving that. I mean, part of it is um, you know the migrant workers. Um, you know, so so sort of sort of all of it. Maybe just take a step back. Almost all the palm oil is produced in two countries, sort of Malaysia and Indonesia, and a lot of the workers are migrant workers. And so, with the COVID restrictions, a lot of those workers weren't able to migrate to where a lot of those a lot of those jobs are. Um, in addition to that, there was typhoon in Malaysia, um, which caused flooding, which you know makes it difficult to uh, you know have, have as much uh, you know output and. You know all these things have, have, have increased prices, and then to exacerbate that, um, in in January, uh, Indonesian government um, mandated about twenty percent of the the exports in uh, Indonesia are kept locally. And so what you're looking at there is, um, you know, uh, workers in Indonesia that are that are loading a truck um, with palm oil fruit. So that the fruit comes out of the trees and uh, they they stuff it as as much as they can in those trucks and you know prices of that are over $1000 per metric ton so they're trying to get as as much as possible it looks very dangerous with them up on top of that truck trying to stuff as many um, as much of that fruit in the truck as as possible but this is a, a, where a lot of uh, you know one of the main ingredients in a lot of cosmetics and a lot of consumer packaged goods originates in in Southeast Asia um, you know, in that manner, and um, you know, it's been a topic of you know that environmentalists have, have jumped on. Uh, you know, whether this is causing sort of deforestation, and um, you know, part of the reason why the, 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 the usually when the prices are, are high like this, more area um, areas are, are changed into uh, you know, plantations for this you know type of crop. Really hasn't happened this time uh, because of uh, the thought that maybe these price this price speaks, uh, spike. It's only temporary um, and uh, because of pushback from you know, various governments around the world that they don't want to import uh, you know, products if it's just a result of sort of deforestation, there's also potential for substitutes with other types of vegetable oil. So a lot going on there. but you know right now um, really uh, causing a lot of margin pressure on a lot of the consumer packaged goods companies uh, such as uh, Unilever. Uh, moving on to my next topic, uh, Nestle results um, you know reported last week. So Nestle is the biggest uh, packaged food company. You really have a huge number of brands that you wouldn't necessarily associate with Nestle, and I really thought they their, their results held up remarkably well, you know, given the current um, you know backdrop. We've just seen so many uh, consumer packaged goods companies face tremendous margin pressure. Um, you know in a lot of cases it was a few hundred basis points. In other cases it was a thousand you know plus basis points and, and a company like Clorox, I think the companies that are in food and, and have specific you know tastes associated with their products have held have had margins that have held up better. But um, you know Nestle really stood out as being a company that's had remarkably stable margins. You look at their operating margin and it only contracted, you know, 30 basis points to 17.4%, and, and and really, that was a lot better than what you've seen from the peer group, which really had margin contraction um, on average of at least a, a couple, few hundred, you know, basis points. Um, so not near the same amount of margin pressure. And even that 30 basis point of margin pressure, uh, Nestle attributes mostly to timing differences. There's a timing a delay between when a big company like Nestle sees their costs rise versus when they can pass those higher costs on to. You know retailers and ultimately uh, consumers. They have to honor the contracts that are that, that are in place, uh, you know, with those uh, you know retailers. So they don't raise prices instantaneously. Um, but it does sound like Nestle is going to get that margin uh, back, and in a shorter period of time than what we've heard from a lot of other uh, CPG companies. A lot of other CPG companies have said, "Well, this is you know several hundred basis points of of margin pressure, and they expect to get it back in maybe twelve to eighteen months." It doesn't seem like it's going to take that long uh, for Nestle, um, which uh, you know, begs the question of what is different about uh, Nestle uh, versus other CPG companies, other than the fact that Nestle is just the largest packaged food uh, company. And I, and I really think a you know, big part of it is the strategy the company has employed over the last uh, several years to shift their uh, product exposure towards more stable and higher end product categories, um, you know, let's look since 2017, Nestle's comp- completed um, more than 85 corporate transactions, um, it, which amounted to about 20% of the company's sales. They've uh, grown into higher growth areas, so uh, pet food, um, which might have been uh, prescient ahead of um, you know a lot of people adopting pets, you know, during the pandemic, um, you know, also had a big push into health wellness vitamins they did that um, acquisition of persona vitamins which is a very um you know high growth you know area that's that's you know direct to consumer and 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 targeted towards people's specific needs so that's a you know one that one that caters to a stable you know clientele and they've done a lot of of good things with with coffee and and people are drinking more more coffee at home and so all of those segments for nestle have posted nice uh, double digit organic growth in 2021 well ahead of the 7.5 percent organic growth in, in 2021 for Nestle as a whole. So those those segments that the company has you know acquired into um, are, are are higher growth you know areas, which you know have the, the benefit of you know having uh, the the street paying more uh, for for earnings in those categories because they're they're, they're growing, um, and also I think the customer base there is much more stable, um, you know, catering to a higher end you know clientele. And you've also seen you know Nestle divest. A lot of their lower growth areas, or areas where they don't feel that they are as uh, differentiated, uh, some of their confectionery products, their regional bottled water business, how those those um, you know were divested recently. And now Nestle's sales are about thirty five percent in these premium categories, um, and the shoppers in those categories are much less sensitive to um, you know inflation in in, in, in groceries. I, I think um, you know the, sort of the current. Uh, number is that the average household is is facing um, yeah, about two or three hundred dollars. I guess close to about three hundred dollars of higher costs because of of disinflation, Whether it's it's gas and and groceries, really being you know two of the main two of the main things. Higher end consumers just don't change their behavior as quickly, um, and, and so Nestle's catering to that market has really helped them, um, you know, be much more stable. Uh, topic uh, number three. Uh, I think there was a good report published by IRI, which is a market research group, and Boston, a consulting group on the recent performance in the CPG industry. So this will be interesting to people that uh, participate in the CPG industry or serve it um, in the the transportation markets. Um, You know, overall CPG dollars grew two point seven percent in twenty twenty one. That's on top of ten point six percent sales growth in twenty twenty. Of course, CPG uh, sales were tremendous uh, during the lockdown and, and people weren't going out, but they rose on top of that in terms of dollars. Uh, but not in terms of volume. In 2021, CPG uh, volume declined 2%, um, which actually that 2% volume decline, and and that's uh, sort of you know excluding, of course, um, you know any changes in, in in price. Really was better than a lot of people um, had anticipated going in. I mean, people were looking at uh, most analysts were looking at say, well, 2020 had this huge growth. There's going to be a, a huge fall off in 2021. There was a fall off. Much shallower than people were expecting, so it does seem like a lot of these these habits of, of people, you know, working from home, um, you know, and my include myself in that, uh, it do seem to be sticking. You know, people are, are drinking more coffee at home, eating breakfast and lunch at at, at home, uh, at a minimum. And CPG volume uh, sales up four point three percent on a two year stack, so compared to uh, pre pandemic levels, up four point three percent for consumer packaged goods overall. Um, and sort of putting some of those numbers together, the implication is that CPG retail prices uh, using that data were up 4.7% on average in 2021. That's pretty consistent with most of the, the companies that you know are publicly traded that have said the, the prices that they're um, raising to retailers up in sort of that mid-single digit digit range for, for in, in 2021. Of course, those prices uh, you know increased throughout last year and those companies are raising prices uh, further. Um, but, uh, you know, CPG uh, retail prices up in sort of that mid-single mid digits, a lot of the, the, the cost pressure that those companies are experiencing are in that high single digits or even double digits. So most CPG companies are seeing a pretty significant uh, margin uh, pressure. And as, as I talked about Nestle earlier, that was really sort of the exception um, to, the, to the industry, one of them, certainly. Uh, Boston Consulting Group also highlighted some interesting stats uh, when comparing the national CPG brands to private label brands and their respective uh, market share. Um, one of the uh, trends that we saw throughout uh, the pandemic is that private label brands lost market share to uh, the national CPG brands. Now, part of that might be um, because consumers have felt a little bit more flush with cash. And in general, consumer spending has been very strong. So consumers have, have opted for those uh, more expensive products, um, but that continued in 2021 where private label lost uh, 0.4 percentage points. Um, that was on top of uh, share they lost that private label lost in 2020. So private label is now 15.5 percent of uh, CPG uh, companies' uh, sales. Uh, that would be um, you know products like Trader Joe branded um, you know uh, food and, and, and consumer goods. Um, what's kind of interesting is Boston Consulting saw a small increase in market share among the large. CPG companies and also among some of the small category of CPG companies, uh, national brand of CPG companies, and kind of the ones in the middle were the ones that, that lost a little bit of share. So it does seem like a lot of these, these, these large um, companies you know, that are managed well um, have had a little bit smoother you know, supply chains and have had fewer stockouts. And uh, some of the smaller companies seem to be finding some niche that uh, the, the the market um, you know otherwise wasn't wasn't delivering and, and kind of the companies in the middle are, are getting crowded out a little bit. So I thought those were interesting comments about the CPG uh, industry as a whole. Uh, moving on to my next topic, uh, Freightwave Sonar rolled out some data uh, last week or maybe it was the week before um, that we get from Project 44. Um, Project 44 has a lot of um, sort of unique uh, you know data uh, sets and give a sonar a chart. Um, that shows one of the three uh, data sets that we just um, you know added to Sonar. So what this graph shows is from project forty four, we're getting data on ocean container port parity delays. So these are the delays on the water from the port of Shanghai to Southern California, uh, Port of LA in uh, blue, uh, just south of there port of uh, Long Beach um, in in green. And you can see, sort of, you go back to 2019, and the typical delay there was only about a day. And now here we are in February 2022, and the delay is anywhere from average delay is anywhere from 13 to 15 delays day, days delay, um, you know, on the water. Uh, you know, that's an average. So uh, some are way higher than that. So you can you can imagine how, how um, you know stressful this has been for shippers, and uh, you know how many you know. Uh, the, the delays that are taking place um, just on the ocean. I uh, also rolled out a couple of other sort of data series that are related to uh, international shipping. One of those was the container rollover percentage, which is something that our journalist um, Greg Miller has written about extensively. And, and what a container rollover is, is containers are scheduled to go on a certain vessel and they get essentially bumped to another sailing. And oftentimes when that happens, they're, they're not the that um, container ship company's best customer, so they get bumped again to a later sailing, and that causes you know a tremendous amount of delays. Now, typically, um, the con- the container rollover percentage would be ten percent, maybe twenty percent, and lately we've seen it up in forty or fifty percent. So that's caused you know uh, you know headaches and difficulty getting goods you know from you know Asia into the United States as well. Uh, also have a data set in um, Sonar that we just added from Project 44 on delays at the port of origin and the port of discharge. And um, one of the interesting things that I took away is that the delays at um, our biggest ports, you know, LA Long Beach, they're about five days delay once you get into the port, and typically it would be more like a three day. So not only are the more of the containers getting rolled over, getting bumped to subsequent vessels. They're, they're also having more time, you know, on the water. Um, a lot of that's related to the the, the queue of vessels, um, you know, outside on the San Pedro Bay. And, and then also once they get into the terminal, there's a, been a, a productivity hit, you know, in the terminal that's causing a five-day delay on average instead of what would typically be more like a three-day delay. So all these things are, are compounding, and um, it's it's still making it very difficult to get uh, you know goods you know imported it's almost as if uh, we need a recession in order to uh, smooth out some of these supply t- uh, chain issues on uh, imported goods which is uh, not something you know people want even if that would um, uh, improve the supply chain and uh, fluidity um, got about six minutes left here and we'll talk a little bit about what I talked about this morning on freight waves now for those of you who didn't uh, you know miss it um, the had a discussion with uh, Kevin Hill and, and, and Michael Vincent, and we chatted a little bit about um, the Wall Street Journal article uh, yesterday morning, which was about uh, the truckload uh, companies taking share from rail intermodal. One of the person, that people quoted in that article was, was Larry Gross of um, Gross uh, Consulting. I think he knows the intermodal industry probably better than you know anyone that I've met, and um, you know his numbers uh, suggest that uh, intermodal rail intermodal lost about. Uh, one uh, percent market share versus truck in 2021. Uh, you've seen something similar in uh, FreightWave Sonar as well. A lot of the that um, share shift happened in uh, the, the the second half of, of of 2021 with all of the uh, congestion issues. Added near the port. Added near terminals. You know there wasn't enough uh, equipment in the right places. There was a chassis shortage. There, there were all these all these issues, and um, you know some of the other. Uh, Sort of interesting things from that article was, um, you know, the company in Chicago, STG Logistics, Paul Spinland's company, said that um, they they weren't able to find enough containers. um, And Schneider said that intermodal containers took about 30% longer than usual on average to load. Um, And then another point I thought was interesting was the AAR, um, which is the industry group that's always going to um, support the, the railroad industries. They they say they can handle about twenty to thirty thousand more uh, incremental loads, incremental uh, loads per week. You look at what that would equate to. Um, it's about two hundred fifty thousand loads in the past week, so that would be about um, about a ten percent. They're saying that they have about ten percent excess capacity, and so kind of putting the blame on other people, maybe you know, the the containers not being in the right places. But they're, they're sort of saying that the, the the rail industry is not not being not the problem. And uh, so those are sort of the main points in the article. I mean, things that I would add to that is that uh, 12% decline in uh, intermodal volume that we've seen year to date in the AAR numbers, that's really been weighted towards international intermodal, where um, domestic intermodal, so those 53-foot containers, the data we have in sonar shows it up about 5% year over uh, year, year to date, so the first uh, in the first two months of uh, 2022. Uh, Meanwhile, international intermodal, so those are primarily 40-foot containers, also some 20s, those are down 19% year over year. So you do think of intermodal as as having those two distinct segments, and it's really been a tale of of two markets. And so I think uh, shippers that are purely domestic intermodal, shippers that are using those purely domestic intermodal uh, lanes, those should be less concerned about the overall volume decline um, than would otherwise be the case just looking at the AAR, um, you know, data, but you know, had a lot to that I agreed w- agreed with in the in the, in the journal article. Um, you know, I think a lot of this has to do with service levels that have been, you know, subpar, um, and, and really that's been what's holding uh, the intermodal volume, uh, you know, back. I mean, some of the data we have in, in, in Sonar shows that intermodal tender rejections out of Chicago were just a complete non-issue before the pandemic. Maybe one one percent um, of of intermodal tenders were getting rejected, and then. Um, you know, during the last you know year or so, it's been you know some weeks it's been five percent, other weeks it's been fifteen percent. It's it's really been sort of erratic, jumping up from one week uh, to the next. So it does indicate uh, to me that there's been um, really a degradation in, uh, in in service that really has not fully improved. I think the intermodal service is certainly better than it was um, in uh, the you know most of the second half of 2021, but um, I still think it's probably not as fluid as most. Uh, shippers would like um you know some of the shippers that 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 we uh, you know speak with at, at freight waves have said that you know the you know it's been challenging getting your intermodal uh loads covered you know out of uh Chicago, particularly on points eastward. Um and, and that's been a big uh you know pain point for them. So some intermodal shippers um in the CPT industry that that we know have uh moved some uh units from uh, intermodal to, uh, to to truckload as as well, sort of consistent with the the thesis of, of that article. And the other thing I would point out um, uh, to, to sort of add to that discussion is um, on, on pricing uh, the you know domestic intermodal contract rates. You know I don't think surprised anyone to the downside in the past year. I think going, sort of going into 2021, uh, most uh, participants were expecting intermodal contract uh, rates to rise in sort of the high single digits, and they were up in the double digit. Uh, you know, range and, uh, you know, heading into 2022, it could be another double-digit rise. Again, I think it will be for at least those intermodal shippers that had not repriced their um, contracts since early 2021. Our data in Sonar shows that intermodal contract rates on average are about 13% higher than they were a year ago. So, you know, that's, uh, you know, the the price spread uh, between um, intermodal and truck really hasn't widened much, maybe with the exception of the fuel surcharge, because we've seen you know, fuel rise and intermodal tends to have about half of the fuel surcharge as a truckload. But, um, but, but clearly I think uh, intermodal, not the growth area lately that it, it just has historically been uh, for the railroads and really think that's been true uh, for the fat, past a few uh, years. Uh, so that's really uh, what I wanted to go over today. And, um, you know, feel free to sign up for my newsletter at uh, freightwaves.com forward slash the stockout. And you can feel feel free to reach out to me directly at mboutendistle at freightwaves.com. Um, we have other newsletters on uh, truck truckload industry, loaded and rolling. We have one called Call Check on the freight brokerage industry. We have one on the retail industry, point of sale. And we have one on the motor vehicle industry called transmission um, and hope everyone has a great uh, Tuesday and uh, have a good week.